Hi everyone, welcome to the Superficial Spirit, where we explore how pop culture affects our spiritual experiences. My name is Peter Breeze. Join me while we ask a very important question. What the hell did pop culture do to me? everyone welcome back to the superficial spirit our guest today is a self-proclaimed fashion nomad an international model honey makeup artist and award-winning digital fashion creator they recently won actually in 2022 the digital fashion creator award at the canadian uh, canadian arts and fashion awards and i i didn't know this and i love this you've worked with grace jones lights and Nelly Furtado, please welcome Miles Sexton. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to have you. When I was um, Googling you, getting ready for the interview, I had no idea that you had worked with, like, Grace Jones is huge. <laughs> yeah, that was, like, a big one for me. I had, like, a full cry meltdown <laughs> when I got the phone call on that one, because she was, like, her and Tilda Swinton are, like, my two, like, idol, like, biggest idols I think in the whole world so yeah that was a pretty cool one (laughs) how how did it happen like they just reached out to you so back when I feel like we first met I I don't know if you remember but I used to design jewelry and like so I was designing these eye patches and Grace like had an event to go to and I guess like her publicist got connected through someone that I knew and like so they had me design like an eye patch for her to wear uh to one of her like red carpets uh which was really cool (laughs) oh my god I can't even imagine get like I talk to a lot of people on the show who are like either living their dreams or in the process of like following their dreams and there's like key moments and like a common theme that I hear is like there's these moments that stand out when somebody like Grace Jones obviously reaches out to you where it's like how did this happen? When did this become my life? Was that one of those moments for you? 100%. I remember like getting out of the subway, you know, and I was having like, the worst day. I had like no money in my bank account. <laughs> was like, oh, what am I going to eat today? Or can I afford to eat? And then like my, you know, you come out of the subway and you get like the pings on your phone. And I was like, looks down. And then it was like, basically her PR reaching out with like being like oh would you be interested in designing something like this and I was like just like instantly started crying oh my god (laughs) you just never know like you never fucking know what's around the corner and I'm glad you brought up like the being broke thing because when I was in Vancouver and I was I mean I've always been a dreamer always like committed to making my dreams come true absolutely but like it's really hard emotionally to feel like you are born and destined to be a big star that you're supposed to make these waves and have no money and like the reconciliation of being like i see it i feel it but it's not it's not like tangible yet i always found that really really hard like it would really chip away at my confidence when i was in a room full of people who were like successful and thriving and designers that were like you know making lots of money or they were celebrities and i was like why don't i have money it was really really hard for me to navigate did you find that too the financial part yeah I mean it's like that's just it you know like I've been I've been on this journey basically for like 12 plus years now you know and I just I feel like it really hasn't been until like the last like maybe three or maybe four that I actually like 
wasn't living paycheck to paycheck (laughs) every single week. And like, I think that that's really hard. And I think that there's like a lot of like the underbelly of working in like the fashion or entertainment industry that like people don't talk about. And like, you know, like you see people on TV and you see people on magazine covers, but like, I remember the first time I shot for Vogue Italia and like, I didn't get paid anything. We idolize these moments in our head about like, oh, I'm going to be on TV or I'm going to be published in a magazine. But these are like very much like false realities of success. (laughs) Like they are only a marketing tool, you know, and they are not a money making (laughs) tool unless you have like the permanent job of being a host or like are under sort of some sort of contract or something like nope <laughs> like I am guaranteed like all of these celebrities that go on these magazine covers like I I don't know I, I don't that they make very much money from them <laughs> this is really really important for anybody who's listening that is still very much up and coming or is like <clears throat> tuning in to hear about your journey because it's so easy to look at people like you just said mm-hmm. on the cover of magazines or with huge online followings and just assume that they have lots of money that they have lots of yes. connections and when you say that Vogatalia didn't pay you that's surprising to me but I guess they do have that leverage it's like are you gonna say no and then my question to you is wh- how did you balance as you're up and coming and you're making your mark balance between what is worth working for free and when do you say no bitch you you need to pay me I mean, <laughs> that's a tough one for me because I feel like I'm so bad with boundaries. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, I think I just perpetually have that sort of survival mentality in my head. And it's something that like I'm trying to work on because, you know, it's just like I always sort of feel like that the broke sort of person that couldn't afford to feed themselves, you know, when I first moved to Toronto and you know, so I I feel like that's like ingrained in me. So like when opportunities come, and I'm just like, I just say yes to everything. And and just because I'm like, you know, something will lead to something or this, even if this job is free, maybe it's going to connect me to something else. And which absolutely definitely happens. Um, But yeah, I feel like I I don't know, I I feel like (laughs) the older I get, the like, if it's not like 100%, like an authentic match, I'm like, now I'm getting better at saying no. Like I get, like now yeah. I get a lot of photographers that reach out to me and are like, oh, I really want to shoot with you, you know? And it's like, their photography is great. Maybe it's not like at the level that I'm used to, sh- that I'm used to shooting at now, you know? But it's like, can I sacrifice like all of that time and energy that I'm going to put into like micromanaging this photo shoot to like make it be worth my time? Like, I don't know if I can invest that energy. So like, I think I'm better now at like, communicating I guess my own needs and and it also like I think moving out of Toronto was a big way of me like setting those boundaries of like what is like my top level importance of like the work that I need to do and like if I'm coming and driving an hour and a half to the city now like is this investment worth it you know so I I had to kind of almost put like a physical (laughs) boundary between me and like the work for me to like actually be able to have life for myself you know wow that's interesting I mean I I, I'm a people pleaser like through and through (laughs) I said yes if you put me on a poster I would do anything I don't care I just wanted to see my name on a poster (laughs) like I, I I didn't really care so I get that um, and it is hard to have boundaries. And I think this is why it's so important for artists like you to have, you know, a, like agents or managers mm-hmm. or friends that can help you yes. like buffer that because knowing your worth is one thing, but asking for it in dollars and cents is a skill that you need to learn. And when yes, you're a celebrity <laughs> or somebody in the public eye, um, I, I don't know if you're motivated by fame, but 
if you are, or if you like attention, it can be really intoxicating to just be somebody that people want to be around and be, and be working with. And that is its own payment. It does feel good to be mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, they asked me, of course I'm going to do it. But then it's like, wait a second. Like you need to, at some point, fame doesn't pay the bills. Basically no. you can be popular, but it doesn't pay the bills. Exactly. I mean, you, I, it's so funny. Like I, I think about like, you know, when, when we first like met in like the club kid days. Right. And like, yes. that was like my mission. It was like, I'm going to be like a bar star. I'm going to be a club kid. Like I want everyone to know who I am. You know, I want to show up in the room, be like gagged by, you know, the look that I was turning <laughs> and like, but it was like, no, I was spending all my money on those outfits to like wear out. And then I would go home and like, be like, I hope there's some peanut butter left. <laughs> because I have nothing else to eat, you know? And it's like... I have no idea. I get that. (laughs) So it's, you know, it's like, you really, yeah. It's, is it worth it? You know? (laughs) It is in the moment. Like those crazy days, I didn't, I was not motivated by money. I mean, I did start making money at some point, but I was so distracted by the fantasy of fame. And this Mm -hmm. is why I started the podcast is like, I'm still, I, I don't crave it in the same way, but I'm fascinated by the experience of people cultivating fame, being famous, choosing like to move away from fame. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's something I'm endlessly fascinated by. And I did want to bring up how we met because I feel like you've been in my life in and out for like years and years and years. (laughs) I saw you recently at, um, oh my God, Canfar. Yeah. At the Four Four Seasons. And I seen you like from across the room and there are all these people taking pictures of you and you're in front of um, like the red carpet area. I'm like, damn, that looks fucking bougie. You look so good. Everybody was taking your picture. I'm like, oh my God. And then I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. And I'm like watching you on social media. And I feel like you're one of those people that I can't play specifically the daytime year that we met because you've just always been a presence in the scene and nightlife and now on social media like it's weird how we orbit each other like not you mean specifically but the queer creative canadian community we're all kind of like always around each other and i think we're like it's still a very small community for, (laughs) for what it is right so i feel like we're always coming in and out of your life and i think that that's like also a reason that it's so important i think to like always handle yourself with grace because like you don't know who you're going to meet again. Oh yes. Oh yeah. When they say you meet the same people going up as you do coming down, so if you're an asshole to people one. on the way up, they'll remember you, honey. Um, cool. I mean, you brought up leaving the city, and um, I read in Toronto Star that you bought this a bungalow yeah. in Georgian Bay. Yeah, <laughs> and it looks great. Um, what was it like leaving the city? I mean, you've already mentioned that it helped you maybe with some boundaries, but I think like maybe you can relate to this for so long. It felt like queer creative people needed to be in yes. a big city to do anything. Totally. But now with technology and social media, we can leave. So what was the process of leaving the big city for you? And like, how has it create, um, affected your creativity and your business? You know, like I'd been in the city for like almost, I guess it was like 11 years when I left. And, you know, so it was like a bit tough. Like I felt like it was going through a breakup. Like I had to kind of like mourn the loss of, of my life there a bit you know just because it's like it really played such a crucial part in who I was you know it was like the place that I fully got to be 100% myself and show up like authentically you know so that that will always like be so special to me but I just think that the older that I've you know (laughs) that I got like 
I think it's important that like, I can only give as much as I give myself. And, you know, now at this point in my career, it's like, I feel like I'm being pulled in so many directions. And if I'm not like 100% good all of the time, I feel like people are like, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? Like, or they'll just like make little (laughs) comments or like, you know, my energy isn't like at a fucking thousand. So it's like, it's just, you know, so like moving out of the city, it's like, I I grew up in a really small town in Nova Scotia Mm. and Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. Ironically. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and I was always surrounded by like forests and nature and like, I just, I felt like I needed to go back to that in so many ways. And, um, just to ground myself again, because I think I didn't realize how anxious I was like living in the city until I left the city. And I was like, you know, now when I drive in and I feel this like tightness coming over my chest and I'm just like, oh, this is like, I never like, oh my God, but that's how I permanently felt (laughs) for like most of my, like, you know, the last, like last while of my life. But, you know, it also helped that, you know, I met my partner and he was already living outside of the city. So it was like, you know, I I felt very lucky that I had sort of like a support system to like help me get out because, you know, it's like the year before the pandemic started, I was already like in my head being like, I need to leave Toronto. And I just was like, I need to move. I was like, maybe I'll move to BC. Like maybe I'll move North. Like, I don't know. I just feel like I need to get out. Like my just yeah. my soul was telling me that I, I needed to find like peace and serenity and something to ground myself. And, and then I met my partner and it just sort of like all fell into place, I guess. Like, I feel like the universe always is like that. Like it just kind of provides you yes. with what you need. So <laughs> I think um, definitely being partnered up and leaving the city is easier than being yes. single and like being in the middle of a forest and being like, damn, I need to meet somebody like who's on grinder. Like, yeah. is there anybody, <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, are you married now? So are we just married? got engaged in November. Oh. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, not, not, not married yet. I love that you have like made that change in your life and you talk about how it affects your inner world. The outer world affects the inner world. And um, I had somebody on the show recently um, that left Toronto, same type of vibe, didn't realize that they had, they knew that they were anxious, but didn't realize how much of it was from physically being in Toronto Mm -hmm. and then leaving alleviates this. Um, Like it lifts a weight. So do you feel like this is something you can do permanently and do you feel disconnected, even though you have your social media and you can connect to people so easily? Do you still get like, oh, God, I should be there? Like, that's where everything's happening or you're totally fine with it? I mean, sometimes it's like when, you know, it's like now, like, I feel like sometimes like people know that I don't live into the, live in the city. So they like, don't invite me to certain things. And I'm that like always is like a little like, <laughs> you know, it hurts a little. Um, but, you know, I, I get it. But I don't know. I feel like I'm trying my best to, like, make as much of an effort to, like, be present in the city that, like, I'm not losing that sort of, like, you know, I guess, like, notoriety that I live in the city. Like, everyone's still so surprised or, like, just doesn't realize that I've left the city, which I just find so funny. Um, I think it really goes to show, like, who actually watches my social media versus, like, who just sort of skims past what I'm doing. Um, But... (laughs) Or they think that I just bought a cabin in the north, and I'm like always like, oh. and you're just <laughs> that's nice. I only have one house, but thank you. Yeah, thank and you, you bought this place, right? Yeah, yeah. My partner and I bought it together. Wow. It's like, oh. <laughs> that influencer life, honey. But like terrifying. Trust me, I've been like saving yeah. 
for this like for so long that I was like you know and that that was like the problem is like you know before the pandemic I was like okay I'm ready to buy something like what am I gonna do yeah and then like I was like am I really gonna buy a condo that's like this you know I have no storage I have so much stuff like obviously I can imagine fashion like it's just like the amount of clothes and shoes and things and like studio equipment and like where am I gonna put all of that so I feel like leaving the city was better just to have also like a bit more more space for sure I wanted to talk to you about your social media following because you have yeah. uh, 200,000 people on TikTok and 90,000 on Instagram. And I feel like like when my, my time in the club days was like <laughs> the dawn of yes. Instagram. So it wasn't a thing. Like if no. you wanted to be popular, you would go out every night of the week and just that's how you would be like popular. It was like that yeah, Facebook. Totally. Oh yeah. my God. Like the first picture I posted on Facebook was like me naked with a sign that said, I love Peter Breeze covering my like body. I was like, yeah, a child. I we should make sure that's not online anymore. But um, <laughs> I know. when you, when you talk about anxiety, um, I feel like when I look at social media, like a, a person like you with a large social media presence, I get like anxiety through like sympathy anxiety and I'm like how like you talked about early already maintaining that high energy that you have online and your online persona is super fucking high energy and I can imagine like when you see the numbers growing what that does to the inner pressure to like perform and Mm -hmm. like put out content and not only that because you're obviously a creative person you have a lot to offer that's not in question but how do you deal with the fucking algorithms and like it's it's not enough just to be creative, like, or to post every day. Like sometimes you just do the same thing and it, it produces a completely different result. Like how do you manage like the mental health that comes with being an influencer? I mean, I am all about doing self-work and I think that that's like super important, right? Because I think people think that it is like an easy journey to like be a content creator and being online, but it's like, it's not. And I think you also like need to under like people don't see the the, again like the underbelly of of this type of industry because you know it's like it's really hard for me because like I don't really get time to disconnect and I find that really like that's hard for me like I Fridays have kind of become my day to like disconnect a lot where it's like I don't post like at least a post but it's like you know but now with like this algorithm it's like trying to keep up with it like if i'm not posting stories all of the time like my story views get like so hit so hard so like i have to constantly be posting my life you know and so like that becomes like a hard part cuz it, it like takes me out of it and then for something for me it's like you know i appreciate so much that people comment on my like on my stories or on my posts so i feel that they deserve like a response from their comments so it's like the hours that I spend just like responding to everyone, you know, it's like, that's just something that's important to me, but it's like, people don't realize, like I probably spend like four plus hours a day just responding to people. And like, that's a lot of time. It's like almost like a a full shift of like someone working a day job, you know? So like that it's a lot. (laughs) And like, I'm doing multiple platforms, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's it's a bit intense sometimes. So how do I manage all of that? Like, you know, it's it's definitely like, it's yeah. I mean, it's it, I think it's 
been hard? Do I say that I'm doing yeah. it successfully? I don't know. Like I, I, the whole Friday thing of like, I'm not posting on Fridays. Like I feel like that like helps me take a day to try to like collect yeah. myself. And, you know, especially when like Tyler gets home from work, I'm really like trying not to be on my phone all of the time, like, you know, after six, but you know, it's, it's tough sometimes. I <laughs> cannot like sometimes I, and I do not, like I, I'm not an influencer. I am not in the same place that you are but i feel like sitting on my fucking couch sometimes like just scrolling my brain feels hot it feels like yes. i did too much ketamine like years and years and <laughs> totally. years ago that's what it feels like in my brain and um i feel like yeah you mentioned a really good point like it's not even necessarily about the content creation that's one piece but it's like the stories and responding to people, it becomes like this all encompassing. It's not even a lifestyle. It's more than that. It's like yeah. if a singer had to constantly sing all the time for an audience nonstop yes. over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and there's no restrictions really. It's up to the content creator, but obviously hard to find that when the reward is the dopamine and yes. the, I mean, I, I assume the benefits that come with having a huge following, but do you feel like it's worth it to deal with the nonstop pressure of fucking putting yourself out there all the time? Yeah. I mean, I think like, I guess back to your, like also like to send, answer a bit more to your first question too. It's just like, I think the biggest thing is like, you need to schedule these moments within your day to like also help to do something for yourself. So like, what are the things that I'm doing that are like my acts of self love, I think throughout the day. And like, those moments, I feel like help me manage, I think, like the stress and like the mental strain of, of sort of like the day that I'm spending on on social media. Um, you know, so whether that's like me going for a run or like, you know, I take my dog to the dog park, like these are all sort of like these moments where like I try at least to spend like a few hours throughout the day where I'm disconnecting. But I also have to say, like, I have the privilege of being able to do that. Like, you know, mm. not everyone has that privilege. Like, you know, before I was doing social media full time, like I was doing social media and working a full time job. And like that, I was just like, I started losing my hair. I was so stressed, you know, like it was just like managing two, like more than a full time jobs together. You know, it was a bit, it was a lot, but you know, it was part of the reason I made the oh. of like, I need to do social media full time. because I can't, I can't it's manage scary. it. I imagine that's a scary leap too. I mean, like starting your own business is scary, but I always think too, with the apps is like, um, you are kind of at the, Courtney Love recently said um, something along the lines of, it's not your following, it's Mark Zuckerberg's following or yeah. whoever owns TikTok. So totally. if TikTok gets banned, for example, in North America, what yes. what happens? What what happens to your money and your business? And like, does that is that like an ongoing thought or is that just something you push to the back of your mind? The fact uh, that you are I mean, kind of golden handcuffs. <laughs> I try not to think about it too much. I mean, we're Sorry. definitely, no, we're definitely like working a lot on like, okay, how do we, you know, create other like avenues of revenue, like within my business, you know, that isn't yeah. just social media. So like, you know, I feel very like lucky that I've been able to now I'm breaking into like TV a lot more. I'm doing a lot more yeah. like, um, you know, diversity and inclusion trainings with like different organizations, it's, like things like that. Like, I feel like that sort of like, I, I want to always kind of keep that in the back of my mind of like, you know, I don't want Instagram and TikTok to be the only revenue source of like income in my life. So <laughs> yes, smart, diversifying, yeah. honey. Yes. Um, I okay, one more question about social media. Yes. And then I have more about your TV life. 
I was reading an article recently that there's a lot of wellness apps that have come up like Headspace, for example, that um, try and coach you into like um, meditation and mindfulness. And I use um, Headspace every day. I like it. I I basically use it as a timer for my meditations in the morning, but it, it can help you. Like I put on concentration music. It helps me with breathing, but always in the back of my mind, I'm like, I still have to go onto my phone go like use use the screen yes. to like de, de disconnect yes and i'm like is this helping or hurting does it keep me more addicted so um the article is basically questioning that like is tech is an app and something in our phone the best way for us to explore mindfulness or mental health and i wanted to get you talk a lot about this online so what do you think the relationship is between like digital life and real life mental health I mean, I, I, I think that's a really interesting point because yes, I, I even found like, even for my own like meditation practice, because I had to go into the app to go to like, I, I use insight timer and like, for me, like it, it is the same thing. It's like so easy to quickly go over to Instagram or like check my totally. text messages, you know? And like, so I, I agree again, I think it comes down to like just setting those like boundaries and like expectations for yourself, you know, like. Um, I don't necessarily, like, I, I feel like my meditation practice, like really, I only ever really do it when I'm like super stressed or like things sort of like come up in my personal life. So for me, like running has sort of been like another way, but like I listen to like Mm. audiobooks when I'm running because I, but so, but I'm still connected, I guess, like in, in to a degree, (laughs) but I can't like physically look at my phone when I'm running. So I feel like that physical activity of me like running forces me to like disconnect oh yeah and you're in your body when you're running it's a completely different experience i love running too um okay tv you are on one queen five queers yes right (laughs) um i always want to call it fucking one girl five gays i know right yeah (laughs) Um, congratulations on that um it's been really popular from what i can tell brooklyn heights is amazing and they've got a really great cast of people to come on and share their story so how did you get involved in that show and what was it like filming um what has the response been tell me about it yeah so i only i only got end up getting to do season one which was so cool to obviously be a part of like the pilot season i think for the show um but honestly it was like for me it was just so amazing because i think I'm so happy that the show is allowing so many stories to be told, you know? And I think especially for like, I think the queer community, there's still like so much progress that we need to make. And there's not a lot of, I guess, like stories being shared. I think our community has really been like, so, so much of it is focused on like the party and how to numb, I think our trauma and our pain. And that has always like sort of bothered me. So I love that the show is like shedding a little bit more light, I think on these sort of like topics or like forcing us to have conversations with people that might not necessarily agree with like how, how we are doing things. Um, You know, for like for myself, I've been like five years sober. And so it's like, you know, that's been such a big thing for me and also being HIV positive. It's like, that was a whole other big conversation that I feel like I was able to sort of have on the show. Um, yeah, so I, I was so just grateful to have that platform on something like Crave to be able to like have, you know, nationally people hear it and internationally people listen to it. So it does seem like we're in like, a, not utopian, but like we're in a very, um, a, a very special time for queer stories in yes. pop culture because 
I think Drag Race was probably the catalyst. Like it really mm-hmm. kind of ripped the bandaid off of like, here, we're here and we have lots to offer. We already knew that. We've been watching Drag Queens for a long exactly. time. Drag people, they're new to it, whatever. Um, but like shows like One Queen, Five Queers, you're right. It just brings the conversations that maybe we have alone with our friends or maybe just with our family to the forefront. Yes. And it's important to share the diverse stories. And like when I was growing up, there just wasn't that kind of visibility no. on TV. There just wasn't. And now it feels like every show, like I was watching on um, The Last of Us, a show on yes. HBO. And the, did you watch I The Last of Us? I have to watch episode? it tonight. So. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to say anything. Whoa. was not I've been seeing teasers just, like online and I'm like, oh no, I'm going to cry. So oh like Oh, I fuck full on bald. It was like so traumatizing, <laughs> but so, so, so good. Um, what do you think about, I don't know if you've heard about Real Friends of WeHo. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. What? You have not? I haven't. What oh is Oh my this? gosh. Okay. It's a reality show in the vein of Real Housewives, but it's with Brad Goreski, Todrick Hall, and three other what? Um, gay men in West rock. Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> so there's been, yeah, there's been a lot of controversy around it for lots of reasons. One of them was um, lack of diversity. Yes. And um, the other was people really don't like Todrick Hall. <laughs> it was just, oh, and the other one was it was, it was airing after Drag Race. And so Drag Race that was normally like an hour and a half was like now 45 minutes. Oh, interesting. Or like an hour. And people were not having it. I wanted to get your insight to that. But you'll watch. Actually, we can't watch it in Canada. I did watch like an illegal version oh my that my friend sent me. And it was it was okay. It was like, I love the Housewives. I thought it was um, not bad. But we are as a community so quick to judge. Like everybody online was like, I'm not going to watch that. Those are boring gays. I don't want to watch them. Why are we watching them? And it's like... Do you watch the Housewives, bitch? Do you like watching Rich Man? Why can't we watch like our counterparts do it? Totally. So I found the discourse really interesting. Um, You'll have to you'll have to watch it and see what you think. That's it. Yeah, I I definitely would be interested. But I I like you know I I think also to your point too. Like I just want to like add into this is like I like that we're getting there to share queer stories, but I also like obviously like Drag Race is like you know these like hyper feminine versions you know of like characters that people are obviously like playing but I also like feel that there's like this whole other like sub you know category that I think a lot of the time like trans women and like someone like myself who's non-binary like I feel like we fall into that it's still like very lacking like it it bugs me I guess like a bit that I still feel like a lot of the stories that are being told are like either of like passing very like white men you know within like the gay community or like our our umbrella or it's like or it's like drag queens but there's like i still yeah. feel like there's so much that still is like in there that still needs to be told so <laughs> so much and, and i feel like this even within my group of friends is like just still differentiating the different types of gender expressions yes. and sexualities it is it's like in the span of my life, I'm in my mid thirties now. Um, I have learned so much in the last five years um, from like, I had um, growing up, like when we were at the Odyssey, as an example, in mm-hmm. Vancouver, I remember not knowing the difference between a trans woman and a drag queen and just innocently totally. asking. And I was embedded in that culture and I knew it. And so I totally hear what you're saying about like, there is nuances to our culture. And I think when you progress so quickly and there's a part of the community that's so um, instantly and insanely celebrated like drag, yes, it can be so easy to sort of skip over everything else, even as members of the community, mm-hmm. right? Because there is so 
many different types of people who fall under the umbrella. And you're right. Like we, we have a lot of representation, but that doesn't mean we have all representation. Totally. And it's, it's important to remember that. That's why people like you are important to get on TV and be like, this is my story. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's so many letters that are a part of our community and like, what are those other letters and like, what do they mean? And like, you know, they're just, I think their stories are just as important. So how did you um, f- like, what was the journey of realizing you were non-binary? Because I, I feel like in my twenties, um, I definitely never identified as anything but a gay boy, but Mm -hmm. like I was, yeah, I expressed my gender in lots of different ways. And I'm curious how you, how the outside, um, like the things that we wear, the way that we sell our hair and like the outward, the things that we present to the world, how that's different from feeling gender diverse on the inside. I mean, I felt like growing up for me, I never, like, I guess I just never fully identified with being like a man or a woman, you know, but I always felt like society had always like put me in like one of the other boxes, you know, and even like moving to Toronto, it was like going out, you know, I was always very androgynous, like, as you remember, Mm -hmm. and like, I never, I don't know, I, I never like felt like I wanted to be a woman. And I also like felt like everyone was telling me to just be a drag queen. And I was like, but no, like I want this to be my gender expression. You know, like I, I I enjoy leaning into my like divine femininity and I also like appreciate my masculinity. And, you know, so I always, I guess like internally felt like I was somewhere in the middle that, and, you know, and at that time we just didn't have a language for it. You know, I remember like, reading like in books about like someone who was like two-spirited and for Mm -hmm. me I was like oh this is so interesting like obviously I'm not like indigenous so like that isn't I I, you know I could never call myself that even though like regrettably I think I did use it as a term for a while like because I felt like it was the only thing that I like could put a finger on of being like this is who I am you know Mm -hmm. and um but like then finally like I think our language like developed a bit more and the term like sort of non-binary came out and I was like, okay, like this is finally something that I feel like is not specific to like either of these sort of like colonial genders that I feel like that now exist, you know, for being a man or a woman. So I, I felt like I really like was like, okay, this I think like fully defines, I think like who I've always wanted to be, but never had the language to talk about it, I guess. It's really interesting to think about the the lack of language that we had access to to describe a human experience yes. and how how important language is when we're talking about people's spirits and how mm-hmm. they feel about themselves and how they want to identify and how lack lacking we are when we think in such a binary world black white straight gay totally. man, woman and I like like from a sexuality standpoint, I have always felt like it was more of a speedometer. Mm -hmm. Like it's like different things at different times, you know, time and a place. Um, That definitely rings true for me, definitely for lots of people that I know. And I think gender is the same way. Um, But yeah, I I like what you say about like feeling it, but not having the language to articulate who you are and how that it was almost like a boundary you didn't know you had to overcome because mm-hmm. it, you couldn't identify that it existed yet. Exactly. 
And I, and honestly, wow. like, I think it's very interesting. Like, you know, I definitely like have dove deep now into just like, you know, looking at like what sort of like research and, you know, like history sort of exists for two-spirited people. And I, and I think I really like admire, you know, these indigenous communities because, you know, like gender really wasn't something that they used within their communities. You know, it was like very much like every person had a role to play and like every person like helped to support the community but like there wasn't like these like divided definitions of like who who it was like anyone could go be a hunter anyone could be a gatherer like it was like you know and then that a two-spirited person was like very much like this elevated person within the community that like you know really kind of helped with so many different tasks that like bridged I think a little bit of everyone and so like, you know, and, and they were like very much like the ones that they like look to for like spiritual connections um, as well. And so like, you know, I find that so fascinating because I think like yeah. our, our societies, you know, like are unfortunately have, you know, like even just down to our language is like, you know, it comes from like a very gendered language. Right. And so it's like, how do we like move past, I think a lot of this like colonial constructs that have really kind of like assimilated and, and like so much of like our of like the original societies of like what this world was you know when when we were first forming and if you were to take all of it away how we would how we would be just by default because i love that you brought up the spiritual component because i feel like ultimately that's what we are is like we're spiritual beings mm-hmm. having a human experience and when people like you talk about the duality of their nature, it reminds me so much of like tarot and magic yes. and spirituality because you're constantly hearing about like, you know, the dual sides of everything. Yes. And why wouldn't that exist in every human being? And how if we acknowledge that it was something that's in everybody, not everybody needs to identify as non-binary, but there are parts of both in everybody in a sense that it's like, um an expression and a and a spirit it's like an effervescent thing like you can't really quantify it other than by a feeling well, and exactly I but like also like quality, so yeah. many plants and so many like <laughs> there's so many species of animals and plants that like not that can like alter their genders like depending on like what <laughs> they need right and so it's just like i think it just goes <laughs> to show like no i don't think we're just like as simple as being a man or a woman i think like there is actually like a scientific part of it right like within yeah. our own genetic makeup of of, of this so <laughs> What do you think about um, parenting and like trying to get ahead of any potential like gender dysmorphia or like feeling you you want to set up your kids for success by being like whoever you identify is okay um, without making it too confusing? Um, I was at I was at this couple's house a while ago. Um, great they had this book called um, what was it called the hips on the drag queen go swish 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 oh my gosh and it was a, a child's book about um drag queens it was like you know her hair is tall blah, blah. it was great so funny and i'm like wow this is like crazy that it's a kid's book and i've talked about it on the show before and people had like polarizing opinions like drag isn't for kids um or like drag should be for kids or drag is just a thing it doesn't really matter um and a lot of conversations have come up online about like how to properly set your kids up to be gender diverse if they are in fact doing that what are your like do you have any best practices like if you were to have a kid what would you do like straight from getting the baby is it like non-binary terms 
non-identifying in either way until they can identify themselves? Or like, how would you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't have a child, so I feel like I can't speak for someone who is a parent, but I do feel very lucky that I have like my nephew and, you know, we're sort of like with my sister, we're on this sort of journey with, with him together. Um, You know, obviously at the end of the day, it's like, you know, she's raising him as a boy, but I think what I appreciate about her is that she's not like she's allowing him the freedom of expression of like whatever his gender identity is. And I think that that's like the biggest thing, because I think like at the end of the day, when we start like shaming and stigmatizing, I think like these colonial constructs of like what it is to be a man or a woman, I think that that's where the issue comes from. Right. It's like, because those are the things that I've spent my entire life, like healing and unpacking and trying to like understand that trauma because, you know, like I, I, I think one of the hardest things for me to overcome is just that I've never felt worthy. I've never felt worthy of love. I've never felt worthy of like companionship. And I think that that ultimately at the end of the day, like stems from just like the amount of internalized shame that I have because every time I tried to be and show up authentically for myself, I was shamed for it. You know, like it was like my femininity was used as a weapon against me. And I think that that's what's important. I think when for kids is like to not shame them unless they're doing like physical harm or, you know, something like that, like, you know, but I think if your child wants to wear a dress, let them wear a dress. If your child wants to play with trucks, let them play with trucks. Like, you know, my, my, my nephew Declan is like, it's so amazing because like, you know, for Halloween, he wants to dress up as Luna from Harry Potter. But then like the next day is like, you know, like riding his little skateboard, like down the road and it's just like rough and tumbling. And, you know, we're wrestling all the time when we play together. So it's like, I think it's just like, yeah, it's like not it's just creating that like neutral space for them to like express themselves. So it's not necessarily getting um, hung up on like the sex of a child and figuring, oh my God, how do we need to identify them? It's do what feels right for your family and also leave room for the child to express themselves however they choose to. Um, My nephew did the same thing. I asked him a while ago, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, either a fighter pilot or a drag queen. Yeah, love it. Wow, that is a great (laughs) range, honey. We will definitely find you something. Exactly. Like between those two things. Um, and I think, yeah, like I had, um, my, I, I like was super young, very feminine playing with dolls. Um, my family gave me free range. And I think that did at a very early age and still in me, at least part of me that it was okay. But when I got to school yes, and I was so feminine, no, they did not understand that I was, pl- I was doing gymnastics with the girls. I wanted to be Brittany. I wanted to be a spice girl. I didn't want to play sports. And like I remember getting um, on the bus with one of my friends and somebody asking me if I was a boy or a girl, like one of the most traumatizing thing as a kid, you know, like pre puberty, mm-hmm. not really knowing who you are. And then having a whole bunch of kids, not like wanting you to tell you their gender or tell you your gender. Yes. Which seems like such an outrageous thing to ask a child. Um yeah, it can be really, really hard. And I, I read another thing online about talking about being feminine and how hard that was growing up. Because even when you get to the club scene, like the um, 
the openness to being attracted to femme guys yes. or femme, femme non-binary people um, is is newer. Like totally. when I was a fucking party twink, nobody wanted to fuck me. Like yeah. it, not openly anyway. It was like they wanted to party with me. They wanted to be on my guest list. Nobody was like knocking down my door to be my boyfriend. Totally. Because I think it was like they wanted the muscles, the masculinity. Yes. They didn't want somebody in glitter and like skinny little twink. It was it's not easy dealing with that. And it's not always blatant. It's no. like the subtext and it's totally. the vibe and it's the energy you get. Yeah. Well, it's like, and that's just it. Like, I think regardless, there's still like so much under underlying of that, like femininity is wrong and femininity is shameful. And I think even regardless, if you come out and then come into this community, like that still exists there. And that's something that I still think we all need to unpack and like understand why, you know, like, it's, yep. it's just, it's really unfortunate. And and to go back to your point earlier too, like, I think it also, it's not, it can't just happen at home that I think schools also need to be on board, you know? So like yeah. there, something had happened at my nephew's school and I just said, I was like, no, like you need to speak to like the teachers about this because like they need to also create a space that's safe for everyone at their school. Like, it, it honestly, it bothers me that there is not in schools now, like, I think every school needs to have a genderless washroom, you know, like, I think that that is important now. Because it's like, you know, yeah. I'm still traumatized, I still get anxiety every time I go into a public washroom, you know, and it's like, yeah, are we not past this yet. You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, I was I think 18, like I was dating Matt and I, I think it was 18 when I was dating Matt. Um and yeah, I was like in Edmonton at yeah. a Denny's bathroom and I had like my dyed my hair black and I was probably wearing like skinny jeans and a tight shirt and this this little like maybe six, like definitely less than 10 was like, "Daddy, why is her girl in the bathroom?" and I was like, "How dare you?" Like totally. but even something as innocent as that, nobody yes. was like harassing me or being rude. It was just an innocent question. It can be very 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 um startling and yes. like you internalize it instantly absolutely like, and like you still yeah. you, know, you still remember that moment right even in your 30s totally <laughs> actually just talking to you, all of these memories are coming up that i hadn't i haven't thought about in so long um and now we have gen z like a lot of the straight identifying guys um who are wearing like pearl necklaces yeah. and dresses and, and it's kind of like the fa- Exactly. And it's like, is that good? Is that performative? Like, I guess it's a step in the right direction if they're like, you know, you can be feminine and still the most popular guy in school. I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I mean, I I, I, I think it's awesome. You know, I think like when I look at someone like Harry Styles, you know, that I, I don't know. I mean, their sexuality is obviously ambiguous, but like I, 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 I admire it because I think it like still at the end of the day, like does break down a bit of these like gender norms that like I think are just so toxic but on the other hand I think that it's still just as important that like if you are choosing to express your divine femininity I think you need to put in the work to also be an advocate because it's like yeah you know like I have not had an easy life because of it and now like you get to like go and enjoy these labors like I need you to also be an ally here and like put in the work, put in the research, like talk about that, Yeah, you know, like stand up for other people that are in these situations, you know, like. And what do you think about um, somebody like Harry Styles um, having to, it's important that 
Harry Styles publicly says how they identify and what their sexuality is, because like you said, you have a lived experience. And if Harry Styles is straight and is um, cisgendered and is just doing this performatively to make millions and millions of dollars, because that's what pop culture is right now, it's kind of on the backs of people who've suffered. So 100%. you do kind of have a responsibility to say, actually, I am non-binary. Actually, I am bisexual. Actually, it is important that we use these words, because as we just learned, Miles, you and I, that language is important and people it's- need to be able to put words to experiences so that they don't feel so alone totally and that's that's why i i've always had an issue with harry like i have this like one hand it's like i want to celebrate you so badly because i just i think like what you're doing is amazing but the like i get it that it's part of your allure you know that that it's totally like just a, i feel like it's a marketing thing at the end of the day and it, and it is and it's i yeah. think very like it's stealing from like my experience, <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. so many other people's experience that they've, they've gone through. Right. So yep. it's I like, I, I loved like the um, analogy of like pride with like the, the iceberg and like, it was like all the like beefy white men on the top of the iceberg. And then underneath it was like all the like you know, creative people, like <laughs> crawl oh, under the water. Yes you know so. um you speaking about being an advocate like i feel like that whole conversation we just had about gender identity is very much rooted in like education and experience and sharing i um, mean you do a lot of work with hiv aids um i had frankie len travis nice. on the show like a while ago it was a really popular episode um and i feel like Again, so much room for education for myself, because even at that point, talking to Travis, um, I felt really nervous talking about HIV AIDS. And I feel like I should have been 100% up to date on absolutely everything. And if I make a mistake, then I'm a bad gay. Um, But I wanted to get your insight into, you know, why you feel like this work is important and why you chose to come out publicly and um, yeah, why you want, why you gracefully put yourself in a position of like educating and, and being a voice and a face for HIV AIDS in 2022, 23. Absolutely. Well, like, I think it goes back to, I think your own personal experience, right? I think we don't, we don't learn about things until we're personally affected. And I think that that's where like stigma and shame a lot, like gives it a place to live. Right. And so for me, it was like, you know, a, I I spent like two years of knowing my status, you know, and it was so like hard for me in those two years because I just like, I felt like it took me back to being like baby miles and living in like all of my shame and all of my trauma. And I just didn't want to be that way anymore. And I was like, you know, I need to find a way to like reclaim my power. But also the way that I feel like I've always lived my life is like, I think the things that make me unique and that those are gifts and regardless of how traumatic I think like the experience of becoming positive was for me, like it also allowed me to be like, no, I need to be like a public figure and talk about this and like change the dialogue, I think around HIV AIDS because there still is, it's just like, it's still so much stigma exists and people don't understand the advancements of medical science that exist now around HIV. Right. Um, and, And just in general, like I think most sexual health is still like so frowned upon, you know, or people like don't want to talk about it. And it's just like, especially in a community that is so sexually active, like people (laughs) need to be be taking more responsibility on like getting tested and like, just for chlamydia and gonorrhea and all this other bullshit. It's like, 
You know, how many times you have conversations asking people and they haven't been tested for like months. And I'm like, you're having protected sex with like multiple people in like a week. And I'm like, (laughs) but I feel like, I feel like um, prep is, can you imagine all of those guys from the eighties who died? And then they hear about like, if they had a crystal ball and knew that like in 2023, you know, you could live completely normal, long, healthy life, even after becoming positive. Um, there was, um, a pill that you could take that would, you know, prevent you from contracting it. Um, it's kind of like, I feel, like I feel from the outside, like seeing my friends who are more, I guess, involved in like, you know, bathhouse cruising, yes. hookup culture, like super, super in it. It's like a renaissance of like, fuck the gay man and his sexual journey. Totally. It's just like so intense. And so it's, it's such a big part of not everybody's journey, but a lot of people's journey. Mm. And it is, I think because we have like this safety net now, something that enough advances in in technology and medicine and stuff that can keep you in a good place have we become too reckless in the other areas of like you don't need a condom because you're not going to get hiv but like what about everything else that could be going around the community and turning stronger and stronger and stronger exactly you know what i mean and i know i always feel like a little prude for saying that but i i wonder that about the community and like if you are, like you said, sleeping around, that's great. I mean, do what you need to do. Totally. Do like, I celebrate to do. that. You know, like, there's yes, time. exactly. But, like, what does safe sex look like these days? That's, I guess, the evolution of what safe sex means in 2023. Totally. And I think it's just being responsible. You know, like, it's just like, I, if, I don't think there's anything wrong in celebrating your sexuality, but like, I think you also need to like have respect for the people that you're also doing it with. Right. And if you're not going and getting tested regularly, if you're not looking into options, like, you know, going on prep, like, you know, yes, there's a lot of barriers. I think when it comes to prep, like still, yeah. I think could be better, but you know, but still, like, I think it's just important about like doing, doing the work. It's I mean, they're all going to the gym. Like why? What's the difference? <laughs> Like, please, your your sexual oh health and your physical yeah. health are the exact same thing. <laughs> so, Ka-ching! And that's that on that. <laughs> if there was one thing that you... I, this might be too hard to answer. I was going to say, like, if somebody's listening and, you know, maybe they haven't been up to date on all the recent advancements in HIV AIDS and, and maybe the state of the community... Do you have like an elevator pitch or something that you say to people if they're like, well, like, what do you do? Like, why is it important? Do you have, you know, like a, not a slogan, but like one thing that you would want people to know if they're, if they're not up to date? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for people to understand is that like now people living with HIV, as long as they have an undetectable status by taking like antiretroviral uh, treatments, that they can't pass the virus on to anyone. You know, so it is definitely like advanced a lot more. It's not a death sentence anymore. I think that's the big thing, I think, for people, because I still think that there's a lot of fear that exists around like living with HIV. You know, for me, my dating life completely changed. You know, it's like, oh, God, yeah, it was just such a like, I don't know, it was like a hit to my own ego of like, you know, like I generally speaking feel like I could hook up with a lot of people and then as soon as I became positive it was like no one wanted to give me the time of day and I I found that so interesting like how there was such a shift of like you have so much internalized like stigma around HIV that like having sex with me you're actually like more protected than a person that you don't know their status 
you know? And then you have to go into every hookup potentially as like an educator and like, you know, like somebody really wants to hook up with you, but you know, you have to have the conversation with them. And it's like, wow, that's not the most sexiest thing. No. And it sucks because like in Canada, (laughs) there's still like so many laws that we're fighting to like decriminalize HIV because you know, with the advancements that we have now, that it shouldn't be like a criminal offense, you know, like if I'm undetectable, I personally feel that I should not have to disclose my status, you know, like it's, I, I think it's like, I'm not telling people I have diabetes if I don't want to, like, please tell me the difference. Like you, if you yeah. can't physically get it from me, then why do I need to disclose that? So I didn't know that it was still, it's illegal not to tell somebody. Yeah. Like I, if like you I hooked up jail? with someone and they found out after that I had HIV positive, they could sue me for like sexual assault. Oh, and God. I could like go to like, literally there's still people that are like in jail because of it. I'm going to put that down on my list of things that I need to uh, research and talk about on the show. Cause that's really interesting. That also hasn't come up in a lot of my social conversations. Um, yeah. Surprisingly. I highly suggest like, so Canfire just put out a post I think today because like there's another survey going around that you can fill out okay. to like send to the, like the ministry of health that we're like challenging right now um, to have people write in and like kind of fight this law to have it changed because I think it, it's not like, it's not like how can, I don't know, criminalizing like sexual health, I just think is, is not right. And like, obviously there's going to be unique situations, you know, with rape and all of that sort of piece. But um, I just, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't. It, it gives too much leverage. I think to also people that, you know, could be just shady, you know? So, Oh my God. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't yeah. know about that. Um, <laughs> you are five years sober. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you so much. You're also sober, um, aren't you? Are you? I'm sober is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, like I, 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 my, yeah. I mean, I love clarity. I love feeling good about myself. And so I would say like 90% of the time I'm alcohol free. Okay. I don't do recreational drugs. Um, I totally explored the 12 step community, loved it. Actually, the 12 steps changed my life because it gave me a really new um, layer of spirituality that I hadn't yet experienced. And it really gave me some um, boundaries, not boundaries, but some, a different way to live and approach my life. And I did have a really profound experience in the early years. It didn't end up being the place that I wanted to stay forever, but I'm happy. I'm balanced. Like life is good for me. Um, And I think that's also an important part of this sobriety conversation is um, sobriety, like gender and sexuality is a spectrum. Not everybody has to do abstinence forever. Totally. Um, Yeah. What's been your journey with sobriety? I mean, (laughs) it's definitely been like on and off, you know, for especially the beginning portion of, of my own sobriety. Um, you know, like I was trying to get sober, you know, before I became HIV positive and I just, I find, I just felt like I was like diving deeper into it. Like I would be sober for like a few months and then I'd be like, oh, let me try like this drug or, you know, let me, let me drink, (laughs) let me do this at this party, you know? And it was just like, oh, it'll just be like this one-time thing. And so it was just like, you know, trying to like figure that sort of out. But after I became positive, I like I literally haven't done anything since because it's just I felt like for me to heal, I needed to like not numb, you know, and I and I just realized mm-hmm. that I was numbing so much with substances and alcohol and 
I needed, yeah, I needed to have that mental clarity. Good for you. You broke free. Yeah. And now it's been like five years and, you know, like I, I I don't like, I, I don't necessarily like miss it at all, especially alcohol. Like I don't, I don't miss that component of it, uh, whatsoever. Um, but you know, like, I, I still think that there is like, there's always going to be a part of you that's like, Oh, like I just, it's like such an easy script that I think we have in our minds to like disconnect when we're stressed or anxious that, you know, that's always going to be there. And I have to like constantly have conversations with myself of like, just check in with myself and be like, okay, how are you feeling today? Like, why are you feeling this way? You know, I'm always like, I always say like I'm having conversations with my child self and I try to, you know, send them back to the place that they, that they live inside of me. I do that too. There's a book, um, Jonathan Van from what's what's Jonathan's yeah, last Jonathan name? Yeah, Jonathan Van. Yes, the the book that Jonathan wrote the forward for, and it's about um, no bad parts, I think, and it's about talking to different sides of yourself, and yes. that's one of them. Is like, yeah, um, my therapist once said a really good thing um, about my partying, and she was like, you know, you spent your twenties. I mean, I think until like twenty seven, super like intense partying. Um, that kind of stimulation and release you can't replicate. So once you let go of like, oh God, it's not going to be as fun, then you have a better chance of um, enjoying this part of your life without the intensity because no, getting really drunk and getting really high in the middle of a club with 500 people where everything is like throbbing, like you can't really replicate that and it's okay, you don't need to. But that's been like when you say there's a part of you that wants it, I still crave that that instant disconnect. Totally. Woo! But, yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. It also like opens up. I think like new situations for yourself. Like I mm-hmm. think when you do become sober, because it like also forces you to like rewrite your scripts and like how do I like bring myself joy, you know, in other ways. Yeah, and I feel like that yep. that's really like shown me a lot because it's like you know for the money and like time that I was like spending, you know, partying. It was like. I now travel and I now like yeah. go on these amazing like hiking adventures. And I've like found yeah. that as like a source of joy for me. So like, I think that it exists. Maybe it's not the same, but I still think that you can kind of get close to the end result of like, of it, Yeah, you know? And it's, it's more, it's longer lasting. Like when I first got into running and I think I did my first like 13 K and I got the runner's high that they talk about. I'm like, damn, this is real or like a good workout, a good meditation. Yeah. You can definitely get that euphoria feeling from natural things, but it requires more work and more focus. So that's why people choose drugs and alcohol or sex or fucking shopping because it's instant gratification. Exactly. But if you explore the other way, it's totally, it's totally great. I mean, Um, the dopamine is such a drug at the end of the day, right? So we have to like be Uh, cognizant of that. That is like our brain giving that to us. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. It's just, your brain is just a thing. It's just trying to process reality, right? Like you give it the power. Um, okay. We're already over an hour. I could talk to you for like five more hours. You're so amazing. I love you. But I wanted to hear, um, before we got on, you said that you're starting an exciting new project. So why don't you tell us about that? Yes. So Tyler and I are in the process of like starting our own podcast. Um, so I'm very excited. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I just feel like, you know, I wanted to create something that was like, you know, an extension, I think of like the education, um, that I'm doing kind of online, you know, so I think 
yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of like dive in deep because I think for Tyler and I, it's been, you know, a, a journey of like joy and also like a journey of learning, I think for both of us, mm-hmm. um, just mm-hmm. like dating and what that was like. And so, I, you know, I kind of want to get into those like spicy details and, Ooh. you know, just go through it, you know, and just be another platform because I think that there isn't a lot of conversations happening, I think, for people like ourselves. So I love it. Um, and people love couples doing things like that's really good branding. And you'll love podcasting because you can like, like sometimes I'll record like five or 10 episodes, like really hunger down and then set them on release and like not think about my podcast for like two months. Totally. So you like talking about more work life balance, you will probably really like the process of like being able to do that and then like let it go. <sighs> I'm excited. <laughs> do you have a title for it yet? Or when it's going to be released? I, I do, but I, I'm not going to talk about that yet. <laughs> it's so secret. All right, honey. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on your socials. Thank you so much, Miles, for joining me. It was such a treat. You're uh, such a bright light in the world and online. I feel like you're a digital love letter that everybody gets to experience. And I'm so happy that you spent an hour and three minutes with me today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for holding space. For, for everything I had to say today. So. <laughs> Thank you.